Welcome to Geeksploration, the podcast, where if you're a fan of fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, and miracles, you came to the right place. I'm John Williams. And my name is Ben Robinson. You killed my father. Prepare to die. We're talking The Princess Bride. Hey, John, how you doing? Whoa, weird. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Yeah. Um, as listeners heard in our uh, mini episode last week now, oh man, do the weird. We're time traveling. Yeah. Um, we are in the booth together and this is exciting. We've got a piece of plexiglass between us and it's uh, it's good to be recording in person, face to face, shirt to no shirt, shirt to skin. Yeah, shirts and skins. Yeah. It's a competition. Um, and joining us today is a, uh, a special guest you've heard on the show one time before when we were talking about uh, a little cons, I think. Uh, you know, I think it was it was a uh, it was a Gone Geek Explorin oh, follow up yeah. after we went to Comic Con. It is uh, the buttercup to my Wesley. It is uh, Miss Angelina. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we haven't gotten away from remote recording yet. No, yeah, it's true. Because <laughs> she is not in the booth. Yeah, we're in the booth together. Angelina is at our home using my recorder, and we've got her on a little virtual uh, Google Hangout here, and she's going to be sitting in, recording on her end. Hopefully she doesn't fuck it up. Well, I'm sitting in air conditioning, and you guys are hot, so I'm content. Oh, thank you for noticing. Yeah. That's why I took my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ben rigged it up, so we now have a little... Uh, vent hole in the top of the booth and we've got some holes in the bottom where we're blowing air in from a fan so there there is some circulation it's really not that bad yeah it's much more comfortable than it was before nice. yeah it used to slowly get worse and worse and worse <laughs> if we didn't have this new this new air circulation setup i probably would be shirtless as well oh man there was all kinds of man nipples a second ago so <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we're talking about Princess Bride. Uh, this is... Ben, do you want to guess whether or not this is near and dear to my heart? Um, I, I, bet it, I bet it's very important to you as well. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? I would venture to say that you think it's good. And and I like it. Yeah. 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 Um, Podcast done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the milestones hit. Go watch the movie and you're set. Um, this is also a movie that... Uh, that Angelina and I have uh, some history on. Uh, you want to fill the listeners in on our on our experience with this uh, up top, Angelina? For sure. Um, we met on Tinder. So we very early on went back and forth with what our favorite things were. And when he asked me my favorite movie and I told him The Princess Bride, his response was, of course, because that came about any time we realized we both loved something just as much as the other. It was, of course. So we have the fair, same favorite movie. Yep. You know, I was thinking about this earlier, Ben, when we were talking about Pee-wee's Big Adventure and I was saying it was in my top three favorite movies of all time, Princess Bride is one of the other three. So what's the other one? Back to the Future? You know, no, I, I, I've sort of relegated the third spot to like a revolving spot. You know, whatever is really on my mind uh, at the time or whatever my current favorite is. It's the redheaded stepchild of yeah. John's favorites. But for years, the third spot was taken up by the movie Psycho. 
And I had this oh, this well, whole system about how each one had a uh, had a different served a different purpose, and they were all like the best or my favorite at what they did. And I didn't notice until I was thinking about it earlier. But all of those movies start with P. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is about about P movies. You like the P. Take it easy. What? What? <laughs> um. So. Yeah, we're, uh, we brought Angelina on because it was such a special topic. And, you know, I, I think people are sick of hearing two dudes chat about shit all the time. So maybe a little well, female I hope they're perspective. Not too sick of it. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> That's kind of our stick. <laughs> no, I said, what's the next topic you're doing? And he said, Princess Bride. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> if there's any of them that I can jump in on, please let it be this one. No, I mean, if it's your favorite movie, you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. I said, what did Ben say when you suggested it? And he said, okay, like you're just indifferent, but sure. Yeah, it was, it was probably sure. That, that's a, Yeah, that's, that's usually my response to most things. Yeah, as, <laughs> as long as it's an, an, an affirmative response, it's usually sure. And then when you have paranoid overthinkers who spend too much time worrying about context, you're like, oh shit, he just said sure. Uh, does, does he really not, not want to do this or... Or is he just being nice? And like, no, Ben, ben is just like that. It, that it, he, he means what he says. Why would I respond with three words when I can respond with one? Well, throw an exclamation point in there or some shit. <laughs> it's texting it doesn't need a punctuation. Yeah. Or, a, or an emoji. Oh, you have to have emojis. There have been many fights over non-emoji text messages. <laughs> I'll be sure to throw a really cryptic emoji in there like next time. Like a thumbs time. up. Make you overthink what it means. Oh, yeah. no, no. Something from way down the list. You a know, barf like face. A, yeah, like a, you know, a, a picture of like the one of the, like a building. Like, what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? You know, on <laughs> on my work Zoom, you know, when people are always responding to messages and, you know, putting little laughing faces or, or the praise hands or something. One of my favorite things to do is Statue of Liberty. Because <laughs> you're raising because your it, hand? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, unle- unless you're actually talking about America and being patriotic, it doesn't actually really apply to anything so i i just want one person sometime to go like what's with the fucking statue of liberty you don't like liberty yeah fucking communist yeah you got a problem with it america <laughs> um so this movie um yeah it's it's fucking great the things i listed off in the intro are there and i love that that's that's the selling point from uh well let's just get into it uh peter falk's grandpa talking to the grandson played by fred savage who's sick in bed and peter falk's coming over to to read him this story so he tries to sell him on it by listing off all those things and that sounds fucking great those are good things this was pre-wonder years too right yeah it has to be i mean well they they were filming in 87 so yeah yeah i think i think it would be just before maybe maybe right around the same time yeah i have no idea i'm trying to remember when wonder years was and i don't know yeah i mean We've got About computers them. and phones in front of us, but fuck them. Yeah, I ain't using that. <laughs> We're not here for facts. One thing that jumped out to me in the opening of the movie, like you see the title card for the Princess Bride come up, it's silent. The first thing you hear is coughing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's weird is the world we live in now. Like I watch content so differently now with with all of this this germophobia and everything that like I I heard him coughing and I was like fucking coronavirus oh my gosh it's 1987 <laughs> what i totally thought of it when uh when he's fighting fezzik when wesley's fighting fezzik and he's like why do you wear the mask were you burnt with acid <laughs> and, and, and then he's like yeah it's incredibly comfortable i think they'll be real popular in the future yeah <laughs> like, oh, oh, no. if you only knew <laughs> 
<laughs> so we've got a uh, we've got little Fred Savage. He's a sick boy. His grandfather is coming to read him this book um, that he also read to Fred Savage's father when uh, when he was sick as a child. And um, it's a it's a book by S. Morgan Stern. Yeah, I was wondering about that when I heard that. Is it? Because like it, the, that's not the guy that wrote the book. It's not, but and we'll we'll get into this a bit deeper a little bit later when we, when we uh, do a deep dive on the book. But the book is written by William Goldman. Yeah. But it's framed as uh, he was a kid whose dad read him this book, The Princess Bride, by S. Morgenstern. So he in in the book he's essentially Fred Savage. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a narrative device. And then in the book, he goes to read it to his kid, or he wants his kid to read it, and his kid says this fucking sucks Not and he goes first. back to read it <laughs> at well, first he humors him sorry <laughs> my bad go back then he then he realizes that the book actually kind of fucking sucks and that his dad would abridge it for him so so william goldman as the author inside the book princess bride goes and abridges it to the good parts version for his son and that's what you see apparently there's a lot more like florin history Fucking meta. Yeah. Oh, it's so meta. And, and it's a good thing they toned it down for the movie because that's a bit much. But they kept the narrative device of a kid being told the story yeah. uh, in there. I like that. So my first question is, where's Fred Savage's dad? He's at work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe he's dead. Yeah. Because the other <laughs> night I'd had a few drinks and Angelina started watching it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to listen and take some notes. And that was my thing. Like, all of a sudden I was just like, oh, shit. Does does Fred Savage not have a dad? Like what what happened? <laughs> I got all sad for him. Oh, there's this whole sad backstory that no one really knows about. Yeah. These days they'd spend 40 minutes uh feeding that to you before getting into anything. Maybe he was killed by the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. So Ben, Fred Savage when we were little boys had a pretty kick-ass room, right? Yeah, hey, he's got fucking He-Man behind him and uh I saw I think I saw Moss Man. Uh, Grizzlora was there. Yeah. And he's got, uh, like just posters. He got shit all over the place. It did not look, uh, the theme was slightly different, a little bit more sportsy themed than my bedroom was, but, uh, tons of shit all over the place, just like mine. He also has a Captain America action figure yep. and he's got a comic book that's sitting up that, uh, I remember once years ago, Kyle and I looked it up. It's a, uh, it's a Legion of Superheroes comic. I don't remember the issue anymore, but we actually like paused it and we're like, okay, we got to find that fucking comic book. Or like searched for the cover. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Now the Cheetos bag is what stands out to me every single time. The old Cheetos bag. Yeah. Yeah. Super <laughs> retro Cheetos. Now, one thing that hit me about Fred Savage's character, and I swear we won't spend an hour talking about Fred Savage, but it's just, it's the beginning. But Fred Savage is a stupid, ungrateful little prick. Well, do tell. Yeah, he's a, he's a kid. Yeah, well, That's fuck what that they kid. Do. <laughs> you know, like he he's talking shit about his grandpa before he comes in, and then his grandpa comes in to try to cheer him up and has a present. He opens, it, he's like a, a book. book. What a what a little fucking asshole. He's playing video games. Why does he care about books? It's fair. I shudder to think about what's going to happen with our kid. Then <laughs> <laughs> she's playing video games. She doesn't need a book. Um. But then, you know, Grandpa rattles off all this cool shit to get him interested. And he's like, oh, that sounds okay. I'll, I'll try to pay attention or I'll try to enjoy. You little fucker. That sounds about right to me. I guess. But it also sounds like if that's the average kid, the average kid is a fucking asshole. Yeah, you've met kids, right? 
<laughs> well, we, we've only got a six-year-old, so yeah. she's not an asshole yet. Give it time. It'll develop. Her asshole hasn't dropped yet. <laughs> Angelina did not appreciate that. Oh, boy. And cut. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like all his interjections throughout the whole beginning part where you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. They're so in love. And he just keeps going, murdered by pirates is good. Yes, I love that line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they go ahead and establish the concept of true love in about a minute and a half, going from uh, Buttercup, who's who's being a total fucking bitch to to Wesley, to realizing uh, he loves her, and then realizing that she loves him, and then it's true love, and uh, and then he goes off to find his fortune and gets murdered by pirates. It's like the beginning of Pixar movies where they get you in in the next two minutes and all of a sudden you're completely invested. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, they didn't really beat around the bush at all. They kind of get straight into it. Here's, Yeah, I think it's what, two minutes into the movie when she's when they're announcing that she's going to marry the prince? Yeah, like mm -hmm. I, actually, I actually did time it. The, the Wesley Buttercup story is told in a minute and a half. Like that was my estimation because I was like, holy shit, like they just threw out a big ass story of exposition out just right in the beginning and they're like okay you're in go here's this girl she's gonna marry this prince oh nope she's kidnapped yeah <laughs> and, well and, you know i wonder what it would be like for a modern audience to see this movie for the first time now like not as a child to see this whole thing about wesley and farm boy and then they're like you know a minute and a half in they're like oh he's dead like do they go oh no this guy has to show up later or do they go like oh this is buttercup's story you know so that sucks. We're never going to see him again. He's in the posters. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Well, <laughs> a man in black is. Oh no, I guess they did have. Uh, yeah. They did have Wesley posters. So Ben, what when you when you think of Princess Bride, like what do you love about this flick? Like what is it that that attracts you to the movie Princess Bride? I think the thing that I, I like the the dialogue and the you know it's got like a good action packed adventure story in there and it's about as much romance as i can palette <laughs> you, <laughs> so are you are the little kid <laughs> oh absolutely yeah is this a kissing book yeah <laughs> but like when i was going through taking notes i felt like everything i took a note on was basically i just wrote down a big list of quotes because <laughs> this movie is so quotable oh, yeah. yeah it's got so many good ones in it i had thought about going through and just like picking you know doing a little list of my favorite quotes and i was just like holy fuck like everything is a quote and you know even just like uh like the the set pieces and the events that happen it's just one after another and everything is great yeah there's no dull points in the movie and when there's about to be one fred savage kicks up and says like hey none of this bullshit <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's get back to the action yeah let's, no no kissing yeah let's skip that part <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know with the characters like uh, we we already talked about wesley and buttercup uh, the farm boy and the uh, and the lady, but you've also got your your trio of ne'er do wells. At least in the beginning of the movie, you have uh, Vizzini, played by Wallace Shawn, who's the the con man and the brains of this group. Um, you've got Inigo Montoya, who is the swordsman, and um, and Fezzik, who is the the muscle. Yeah, the giant man. Yeah. You don't know at first, but they've been hired by Prince Humperdinck to kidnap the princess and kill her on Gilder soil to start a war. Um, you've got Prince Humperdinck himself, who, I mean, Chris Sarandon, what what a fantastic job. He's a, he's a handsome man back then, uh, even though he's wearing frilly weird things. He's a, he's a hunter. And, and his character is almost sympathetic for the first half of the movie. Mm. Yes. 
like like you see him and he's you know other than the fact that like he just picked a bride out of the crap you know out of the the village or whatever i was like you you're marrying me but like at the beginning he's you know he's a dude he's a prince he gets to pick a bride he picks one he seems like he has good intentions he's chasing after her trying hard to save her um you know he doesn't seem like he's a bad dude until they uh until they basically until they capture wesley then then it all starts coming the facade starts crumbling yeah then you've got you've got count rug in there who um he is the six-fingered man that inigo montoya is uh is looking for and that is played by none other than mr christopher guest yep okay you know and it sucks because we we do this research but i remember back in the day before anybody was really looking behind princess bride and you're like hey that's uh, or when you're watching Spinal Tap for the first time, you're like, that's a six fingered man, or you know, and, and like Nigel Tufnell and the six fingered man are the same person. Like that, that's insane to me. Do you know how many times you've had to tell me that that's who that is? And I'm like, wait, that's him there too. He's a chameleon. Yeah, no, he's really good at that. Christopher Guest is so good. Um, and yeah, his Count Rugen is a mean fucking asshole. He's a sadist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then we, I think rounding out the, the main cast from what I would say is, uh, is you have the brilliant, uh, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane playing Miracle Max and his wife, Valerie. I guess you could call them main cast. They're there for like five minutes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of bit players, but, uh, it's Billy Crystal and Carol Kane and they're killing it. Yeah. So. <laughs> they're, and they're so quotable and they make such a huge impact on that. And one thing that I love about, about this cast is that. Besides Wesley, they're all fucking Americans and all these British accents, Robin Wright's accent, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Mandy Patinkin's Inigo, uh, his, his Spanish. Spanish accent. Yeah. Humperdinck's British accent, Count Rugen's British accent. Like there, I, I had no clue that any of them were not British growing up. Well, Robin Wright's stepfather was British and that's how she learned to speak that way because the Monty Python he showed her that when she was a kid oh neat mm -hmm. nice yeah and and I know I know Christopher Guest is some sort of European royalty of some kind he's is like he a, really yeah he's like a duke of something like through blood awesome but he I mean he's super American when he talks that's cool I didn't know he was a duke yeah uh, it's either a duke or a count either way that's cool yeah maybe he's an earl I don't know when I read that, that Billy Crystal ad-libbed, like, most of his lines as Miracle Max. Like, he had, like, you know, a framework that he was supposed to work with, but, you know, like, the whole thing about the uh, the MLT. <laughs> yeah, mutton, like, lettuce, and tomato. Like he just made that up on the spot. I could totally see that. Same thing with, like, chocolate makes it go down easier. Yeah. Like, have fun storming <laughs> the castle. Well, Mandy Patinkin said the only injury he acquired on set was a bruised rib from holding in his laughter with Billy Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Oh, that's great. Now, Angelina, you've had the good fortune of seeing Mandy Patinkin live yes. in something, right? I saw him in Australia at the Sydney Opera House. I just happened to work out timing-wise, and the, his performance was amazing. At the very, very end, he took his stance with his sword, pretend sword, and did his line in front of everyone, and everyone went crazy, and I almost peed myself. I, I imagine he gets asked to do that all the time. He said in an interview I watched that at least twice a week, somebody asks him to do that line and he always obliges. And one of them, he talked about a little kid who he went up to him and whispered in his ear, 
and whispered his line. And apparently his wife saw the kid's face off. You could have seen his face as soon as you started talking. <laughs> he was just so surprised. It's a good thing that that parent was just like, what's this man doing whispering into my child's ear? What the fuck is he saying? <laughs> they told him. You ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> Airplane <laughs> reference. <laughs> just in case. Yeah, well, yeah, when, when, my, my kids had both seen it, but I was watching it with Odin and uh, my daughter's gotten like big into criminal minds. Like she likes watching that show. And so he watches it kind of with her. And I was like, that guy right there, you recognize him? He's like, no. I'm like, that's Gideon from Criminal Minds. I was like, holy shit. Because I remember when I realized that, I was like, wait a minute. That's Inigo Montoya. Yeah. And <laughs> and of all the people and all the accents that we were talking about, like his is the one that shocked me most when I heard him speak without his uh, his Princess Bride accent. Like, I'm like, wait, like it was such a shock to the system. Like British people and Americans, like that that happens. But um, but it was such a strong Spaniard accent. That was the only thing I'd seen him in for the first, like, I don't know, 25 years of yeah. my life. Yeah. When I saw Sunday in the Park with George, the Broadway recording of it, and he's the lead, I was like, wait, and he sings on Broadway? Like, oh my gosh. I didn't even know he did that. He did. He has a Tony and everything. Yeah, he's he's very serious. And and I I don't remember the exact story, but I I, I know he's like had to backtrack because in his earlier years on film, like, or on film sets, apparently he was, he was kind of a fucking diva and kind of an asshole. But, but like he himself has said like, Hey, I, I treated people wrong. Like I'm that was good. sorry Talk to it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like a good guy. Speaking of good guys, uh, Andre the giant, I think has been pretty much universally hailed as like one of the nicest people in this movie. Oh, the biggest yeah. heart. No, no one has anything bad to say about nope. that dude. Oh, I hope that wasn't a joke in poor taste about him having an enlarged heart. Yeah, geez, Angelina, too soon. He has a big heart. I didn't say enlarged. That's a condition. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Fezzik's my favorite character in the movie. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just he's just a solid dude through the whole thing, and he he seems so genuine. Yeah. And he's, he's endearing. His part you know, was like, written like, for him in mind, and they just had to get him in on it when, they, when he was writing the screenplay. Or when they were writing the screenplay. Yeah. I'm so glad he did it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. uh, there's not a whole lot of Andre the Giant stuff out there. Yeah. And uh, apparently by that point in his life, um, his body, you know, was was falling apart and he couldn't support any weight. So, like, you know, anytime you saw them, like uh, when he was doing like the Cliffs of Insanity thing, like, of course, they're, they're all rigged up. So there's no weight on them at all. Um, I remember seeing or hearing something where like in the end when he catches buttercup he's like actually strapped to like a huge piece of wood that that will keep him standing and rigid oh wow really yeah because you, you you can see him moving around it he doesn't look like he's comfortable yeah like it does not look like he's moving around easily i mean i don't expect a man that size to be to be very agile anyway but yeah like you know he, he's he's got a certain gait to his walk that that is not a stroll Professional wrestling isn't exactly easy on the body either. Yeah. No, he wore yeah. that outfit, that bodysuit to cover up a brace that he would have to wear during wrestling. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Well, he was seven foot four. Holy shit. And weighed 519 pounds. That's a big old man. He's a big fucking dude. You know, I, I saw an interview with uh, with Mandy Patinkin. Or I, you know, I watched some special features on the uh, on the Blu-ray earlier just to just to get some some little anecdotes. Um, and 
like Mandy Patinkin was saying that like when he first met Andre the Giant, like it just like took his breath away when he first saw what a large man he was. And like he got all self-conscious, like worrying that he was making a terrible first impression because he like couldn't speak. You know, he was just looking at this guy like, oh, oh, holy fucking shit. Like this is a monster of a man like in real life. I imagine he was used to that. Uh, like uh, Chris Sarandon told a story about because he had his daughters like come on set mm-hmm. and like they were in the <laughs> dressing room getting ready and like his daughter came in and just screamed as soon as she saw him <laughs> and then his other daughter came in and also started screaming and then like got him out and he was like oh man i'm so sorry in the meantime before that they were so excited to meet him they were like you work with a giant and they asked all these questions they were so excited to meet him and as soon as they saw him <laughs> that was their reaction and then I, I guess his his response when he was like apologizing was that you know that he's a, either either they come to me or they run from me. Oh, I was like, oh, you poor guy. <laughs> and all the stories you hear about people's interactions with him, like he uh, reportedly is just the the biggest sweetheart you ever could mm-hmm. have met. And it, man, what what a shame, you know that that there aren't more of him out there. Well, and one of the things he said about filming it was somebody asked him how he enjoyed it. And he said, no one looks at me. Like he felt like he was just part of the gang. No one made him feel bad or look at him. So it was really special to him. Except Mandy Patinkin and Chris Sarandon's daughters. Apparently, screaming at him. Besides that part. And I, I, you know, just to, to speak to his size, I, there's this picture floating around on the internet. I'll have to post it on the Instagram of, uh, of Andre, the giant visiting the set of, uh, I think it was Conan, the destroyer. And it was, uh, it was, Andre and I think it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in that movie as a uh, as, was, as a bad guy. He? Yeah. And then uh so they're on either side of Arnold and he's like hanging on to either of their uh their like either biceps or shoulders and he's just like dangling. He looks like a like a small <laughs> child like dangling from their from their arms between them. Yeah, there's there's a cool like shot that you know production shot from Princess Bride where it's got you know Andre the giant and then Mandy Patinkin mm-hmm. and then Wallace Shawn below him. And like you look at it, you, you know, it's like they look like they're, you know, they're stacked on top of each other, but like they're all standing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> they're, they're like the Russian dolls that you it, just yeah. fit inside of each they other. Are, they are, you know, they're literally just a, sh- a head and shoulders taller than each other. Yeah. <laughs> and Wallace Shawn's Vizzini. Like what a, what oh, a man. perfect fit for, for an obnoxious dude like that. And the inconceivable, and, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, I guess we get into some of our favorite scenes, um, you know, and, and this is one that Ben has a little, uh, a little tie to in real life. Uh, the scene where, where they put the Iocane powder in the wine, you know, for the battle of wits. Yeah. You know, all the, all the snappy little lines that he's gotten there, like you, you can tell he 100% believes the things that he's saying about, about how he is so much fucking smarter than you are. Yeah, yeah, Plato, Aristotle, morons. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even before that, so I mean, like we were talking about, you know, they kidnapped the princess, they, but we have the cliffs of insanity. Does anybody else lose their their breath when they're watching that scene? <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> yeah. I am like when they first show them or like when they're actually climbing them. When they're climbing. <laughs> Like I am so deathly afraid of heights that that it makes me nervous watching that. I know it's fake. I I know they're using miniatures and and composite shots and and like when Wesley's hanging on the side of the cliff, like he's not in any danger. But it just it freaks me out. Like when there's those adrenaline junkies that take videos of them, like 
you know, uh, doing handstands on the top of skyscrapers. Like it actually like makes my stomach turn. <laughs> no, I do not feel that way. Well, <laughs> but I'm glad you do. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that probably my, yeah, it's gotta be my favorite scene in the movie is right after that. The, the sword fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a good sword fight. It is the stuff of legend. And we got that as kids. And I guess Mandy Patinkin and uh, Carrie Elwes. Elwes is that how you say that? Yeah. Elwes. Mm-hmm. And Carrie Elwes, um, like, were really concerned about making it like a good fucking sword mm-hmm. fight. So they like rewatched like every sword fight they could find. Yeah, like Errol Flynn and Douglas Fairbanks, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and they, and they practiced. They practiced it so much, like they actually learned each other's parts in it, so that they could have swapped places and still done the sword fight to make it look perfect. They apparently practiced it so much that and sped it up as soon as they started taping it. And they said, you need to slow down because you guys are doing it too fast. And we need to make it longer because they wanted it to be the longest sword fight. Yeah. And ah. uh, apparently on the on the first iteration of the sword fight, they, you know, they did all that practice. They practiced for months and months, uh, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. Mandy Patinkin was training and um, they pulled in. Uh, what was their names? It was uh, Bob Anderson and... Fuck, where did, I've got too many notes. I can't find them. Yeah, the dudes that did Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, one of the guys actually was on uh, on old movies with Errol Flynn. Like, he cool. went way back in there. Yeah, and and these guys are like 60 years old, but they're just fucking dancing around, and they know exactly what they're doing. So, um, Carrie Ellis and Mandy Patinkin shoot this scene, and they are so fucking proud of themselves because they nailed it. And Rob Reiner looks at them, and I'm I'm paraphrasing slightly, but he just says, like, is that it? And, and they were like heartbroken. So they had to go back and retool the entire fight. They added the steps into the set. They added like the jumps and the the acrobatics and stuff because apparently none of that was there before. And oh, then wow. they um they yeah, they made it a point to be oh, I can't remember the name of the movie from I think it was maybe the 60s that had like the longest sword fight and they're like nope, like we're going to beat that. And I mean, good on them. Apparently fencing schools actually you know, use that, uh, that movie to, um, to teach their students and, and to analyze styles. Cause the whole time they're calling out different fencing styles and shit. Are they actually doing different fencing styles? Like, I don't know enough about fencing to know if like that was accurate or not. I'm not sure. Cause I know those words were in the book. So if they, so if, if they were real styles, then William Goldman would have to know something about fencing. Cause he, he wrote that into the book and then into the dialogue. And the entire way through, it's Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin, except for the for the flips. You know, those were yeah. stuntmen. But all the sword fighting is them. They learned how to do it both right and left handed. It's it's insane. I love that sword fight so much. My parents love telling a story about how I had the soundtrack on CD. And so I was playing it. And one day in the living room, it was the music that goes along with the scene. And I did the whole sword fighting scene by myself throughout the living room and the kitchen. And they were laughing hysterically it was it's good you dork i know <laughs> were you wesley or anigo i was both i was switching oh, back like, and forth oh that's even better I know. whoever sang the line that's who she was yeah <laughs> i remember as a kid i always wanted to have a moment where i could be doing in fact i still think about it like i've thought about it in terms of like if somebody if, if i was going to have like a drum off with somebody or something or i, I wanted to 
trick somebody into you know the, who says like oh I'm, there was this one dude who who was talking about how better how much better than me on the drums he was and i was like i'd love to show that guy up so like start playing left-handed and just do it like a serviceable job until like oh yeah what the fuck ever and then go right-handed and yeah. fucking destroy him <laughs> i'm not left-handed motherfucker i've never even thought of drums being right or left-handed but I guess like the hi hat's going to be on one side and the snare is going to be somewhere specific. So yeah, wait. So to like sit down at a drum set though, wouldn't you have to be like, could you play left-handed with it configured the same way? I don't think so. Um, yes, I could. I could like if if the hi hat was on. Well, this this is all visual because Ben's looking at me, and uh, I mean the listener is an Angelina Candy. Um, but like I could play it like this. You know, if I if I had the snare over here and and hit it like this with my right hand, the problem would come in playing fills and moving from right to left rather than left to right. That would be the hard part. Yeah, so you'd have to like sit down and then they'll be like, "Ha, huh, jokes on you! I'm not even left-handed." And then like rebuild the drum set. <laughs> oh shit! I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Give me a minute. <laughs> Ooh, no, see, it, you've got it'd be, it coming. It would be even better if I if I if I was like playing it, you know, like left-handed on a right-handed drum set and just being like, "No, I got this. I got this. I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> okay. What the fuck? <laughs> so, how about that fire swamp? A fire swamp looked cool as hell. Like uh, the, I mean, like it's a sweet-looking place. I agree with him. The trees are lovely. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, I love that line going in where she's like, we'll never survive. And he's like, nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. <laughs> like, I love Wesley's confidence. Um, and I like how she looks at him like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> and there was something about in the, in the set design or the, or the production design, when he's hacking at those, those uh, vines, like they look so meaty. Like they, they really look like some good honking vines yeah and is he actually cutting through them like whatever they are they must be like soft enough that he could cut through them because it looks like like all of his cuts seem to line up with where they're being cut yeah like if they were breakaway like he he was spot on with all that but i guess if you put that much time into a sword (laughs) fight why not right (laughs) yeah no shit um and there we have uh we have the those fire bursts and the uh i think they call it lightning sand that was the first scene that they filmed (laughs) That's when they oh, yeah, decided really? to light Buttercup on fire. It was the very first scene. <laughs> God, the, the, I was thinking about that. That and you know, lighting, getting lit on fire, and then having to like fall into sand. And she's got like sand all over her face. Like oh, that would be miserable. Uh-huh. Like they were actually under sand. When I was a kid, that that actually like really bothered me. Like how long they were down there, and then coming up, and that the sound they both make when they burst out of there, and their dust breathing comes out of their mouth. Yeah, and they're, they're just like it's all like there's no way they didn't get sand in their eyes and shit. Like yeah. it looked miserable, but it looked fucking super cool because she like just disappears into the sand. I'm not yeah. sure how they did that. If they had like a some sort of like. Uh, thing that kept the sand there but like she could fall through yeah or... like it, it had a, like a hole that would expand so she could get them no because then all the sand would go through well, it'd too. have to be something that would like you know like a like a sand sphincter like i don't know what that would be but it looks really cool and like it, i'm pretty sure they practically jumped into some sort of sand went all the way through it and didn't die so I, i'm really curious how they did that Man, I bet I bet we can find out online. Yeah, because it's not CGI. Yeah, no. Like it's definitely practical, and it looks legit. It looks like they dove into a giant thing of sand, like Scrooge McDuck into some coins. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> just like everything else that we've talked about, where where fucking practical looks better. You know, if if that was CGI sand, you could probably tell. Ugh. 
Well, and, t- and, and today, like, I mean, if I was an actor, I got to tell you, and they were like, all right, now we need you to jump into this giant vat of sand and be like, we're doing that with CGI, right? I don't <laughs> want to fucking do that. <laughs> like, you're like, sure, it'd look better practical, but uh, that looks shitty. Can't we do that with CGI? <laughs> man, that is weird. Yeah, man. Uh, but then right out, right uh, coming out of that, the fucking R.O.U.S. is, man, rodents of unusual size. Mm-hmm. There was people in those suits, right? Yes. Two different people. One that was really able to run really fast (laughs) and the the opposite need. I can't think now. But apparently one day on set, they didn't have the second person and apparently they got pulled over for speeding and they're trying to explain to the police officer, no, I'm in a movie. I need to go. And they were like, well, what kind of what movie are you in? The Princess Bride. What are you playing? A rat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and they had to go and get him out of the jail so that they could bring him back to set. Yeah, I imagine the other person, if, if the other one had a specialty, would probably be in face effects. Like, like when, you know, when, when he's holding back the mouth and that tongue's just like, like waggling around. And I think it was a puppet or it was a puppet that they were able to control the face. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to be a pretty small dude, too. Yes. They're yeah. of unusual size, but they're not like, I mean, I don't not know, get man. a full-size man in they that They called suit, them little you? people, so. He was, he was, I mean, that thing was pretty fucking big. Like, it was pretty comparable to, to Carrie Elvis's size. Like, when he's rolling around with him, like, that thing's, like, body mass is most of the size of Carrie Elvis. Yeah, but you got to be able to get, like, on all fours and stuff like that. Like, yeah. you're not, you're, there's no place for knees or anything in there and. No, uh, I can't imagine you could be much more than like four feet tall and fit into that thing. Yeah, but it looked cool. Yeah, and I mean the sound design in that when when that thing's biting into his shoulder and the way he screams and shit, like th- I mean that was another thing as a kid where like that that fully got me. Like I, I I remember or I have like a like a a weird memory reaction to that to like the first time I saw it and just like like thinking like holy fuck like that guy is getting fucked up right now. Man, I love that they didn't really have to like do like some big fake wound on him. They just put some blood on his shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's it. There's no, there's like there's no gory wound or anything. It's just he's got some he's got some red on his shoulder mm-hmm. now. Yeah, but it's still it still sold it. <laughs> when they're cleaning it up, and nothing's yeah. really. It just looks perfectly fine <laughs> underneath. Yeah, just wiping it away. Mm-hmm. Now, one one thing, uh, one scene that hits me especially deep is. Uh, is Inigo Montoya when he finally gets to face Count Rugen and say his his famous line, and there there's something about you know the 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 chase, and then when Rugen throws the dagger into his stomach, and then I mean that fucking line where it's like, "Have you been chasing me your entire life only to fail now?" That's the, I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Mm. Like, how, how marvelous! marvelous. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I love that. And then like you see. You see him like when, like when when he first starts to pull it out and he like falls back and then he gets it out and like like it it, it is a a moment of triumph that is not often equaled in movies like his his uh his scenes in the movie like have so much emotion tied up in them like when when he's finally getting his strength back and Count Rugen's like he's scared and and you know Inigo Montoya has given him all the same wounds. You know, he's, he's repaying him one, one time or one slash at a time, one poke at a time. I don't know. And just the, the way when, when he, you know, when he's trying to bargain and he just says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Like I, like 
that's another one of those things that, that hit me so hard as a kid. Like, like it almost brought me to tears when I was younger. Cause it's like, you know, the, like the, this is something you cannot give me, you know, so go fuck yourself. Mandy Patinkin's dad died from cancer in the seventies and he related everything to his, him losing his dad. So when he's got the sword and he's saying for his father to guide his sword and at that very end when he's they were doing that scene, apparently he actually stabbed him in the thigh <laughs> like and they were working no. on it. And he's all, just so you know, I'm going to be protecting myself from him this whole time because Mandy Patinkin was so passionate about that scene and <laughs> killing him. And he even <laughs> said when he finally killed him at the end for just that moment, his dad was back. Because he killed cancer. Fuck. Yeah, That's why it's, it's such deep. a commanding performance. <laughs> you know, and I'd, I'd forgotten about that guide my sword moment. Because I, mm -hmm. I started making a list of the emotional moments of uh, Inigo Montoya. And yeah, that guide my sword, like, and the, and the music swells mm -hmm. and, and does that, or, or, you know, like, or sorry, it doesn't swell so much. But it does that, like, light thing that, like, you're feeling the emotion behind it. And, like, when he's telling the story of his dad to uh, to Wesley before their fight... And, um, and then also when Wesley is, uh, well, when he's getting fucked up in the pit of despair and, and Inigo Montoya, just like he hears it and he says, he says, uh, like, that's the sound of ultimate suffering. That's the sound I may, I may, or my, my heart, heart made, made yeah. when, uh, when my father was killed, mm -hmm. paraphrasing again. But I mean, like, I'm getting, I'm getting a little, uh, a little emotional <laughs> right now. Just think about like Inigo Montoya's journey in this is so fucking deep and emotional like you know Fezzik he's he's a good person and he's doing a good job throughout the thing you know uh Wesley and Buttercup true love yeah it triumphs but man like Inigo Montoya is the fucking the emotional center of this fucking movie it's insane and at the very end I think what his favorite line from the movie was when he said well now that I've done this I can't remember it exactly well now that I've done this what am I going to do with the rest of my life and then he be becomes a pirate, probably, maybe. <laughs> he has a has a job opening yes. for the Dread Pirate <laughs> yeah. Roberts. You considered piracy. You make a terrific Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, and and that was that was a cool thing. So so Wesley not only doesn't die, but he becomes a powerful pirate man in that five years. That uh, yeah, I, I like when he's telling her about it, and like there's the you know he's talking about like for three years every night when I went to bed. <laughs> good job today good night uh i'll probably kill you in the morning yeah i'll most likely kill you in the morning <laughs> that's how you go to bed and but I, but i love it they're like they're like no i'm not the real dread pirate roberts like that, that the the guy before me his name was ryan the guy before the him was named cummerbund <laughs> and you know the the dread pirate roberts had been what retired, retired 15 years and living like a king in patagonia yeah <laughs> so and I think that the son of a bitch line is the only curse in the entire movie. Yep. I think otherwise, they they stay pretty clean. You know, that's probably why it was such a hit in uh, in the Williams household as children, because, you know, growing up very, uh, or, I mean, religious. So they, we didn't we didn't like the cusses or the gores. Yeah, I heard an anecdote. I, th I think it was from Carrie Elwes about he, he met the the governor of Utah or the some someone in the Utah government. And they told him that uh, that every household in Utah owned a copy of The Princess Bride. I'd believe it because it was because it, 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 it's just a good wholesome movie. In the end, when uh, when Buttercup has married Prince Humperdinck, 
and she's going to kill herself. Wesley's line of <laughs> there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world, which would be a pity to damage yours. Like what a what a slick fucking entrance. You're just laying in the bed wait, watching her waiting for her to almost kill herself. And then you just <laughs> you throw out a line about her boobs. <laughs> but and then Humperdinck coming in after that, like that's a, that that is probably I mean, not even probably that is Wesley's most triumphant uh, part in the whole movie. Like after their whole speech about, you know, to the death, no, to the pain. Yeah, like, oh, holy yeah, he's fuck. slinging insults at him and fucking oh, you vomitous mass. And just you know, you, bluffing the fuck out of him. Yeah, you warthog faced buffoon. Like oh, I love it because you know how much that stings Humperdinck. Um, but being able to stand up and like raise his sword to to Humperdinck's face and say, "Drop your sword!" Like what a great moment. And he was bluffing. Holy shit! And then he crumples. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yeah, they get on horses and ride away. The yeah. movie's great. And I'm nearly certain it was not Andre the Giant on that horse. They actually <laughs> <No>. built something <laughs> that was a harness and they would lower him onto the horse because no horse could withstand that weight so that it would take the pressure off of the horse. And apparently he was very heavy drinker because that was the only medicine he could take because of his condition. And so apparently one day he was drunk as a skunk and they're lowering him down and he's just this big drunk giant coming down being all silly <laughs> and they're like this is a picture we'll never get out of our hands <laughs> upon a poor terrified horse I, <laughs> I mean 519 pounds that is that is really heavy that's a heavy man like you see the you know you see those people that are 500 pounds but uh, they don't look like andre the giant yeah, no, they look like those twins on the scooters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so something else that that I, or I mean, of course, another aspect of the movie that's worth talking about, and I found out earlier that I'm not sure Ben and I share the same opinion on, is the uh, the music oh. by uh, Mark, Mark Knopfler of uh, Dire Straits. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that, Angelina? What? I heard that earlier. No, I mean, there's there's the, the there's a couple, you know, like the main theme is pretty good um, it, it, and this and that. But the way it, it's into the movie is just so not good. What? <laughs> like, like, well, like, so the, the whole when he's chasing after, you know, Vincini and his crew um, where it where it goes to that, the like the the traveling music, I guess, between the scenes. Yeah. I can hear it in my head. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it sounds like it was made on like a fucking Casio keyboard and like plopped in from, you know, super generic garbage fantasy land. Ew. It's just, it's just, it's just not good. Oh. <laughs> Wait, when was the first time you saw the movie? Oh, geez, when I was probably like, you know, small child. Oh, okay, at least it's when we were a kid. I feel like sometimes when people see it as adult, they just don't get it the same way that if you saw it as a kid. Oh, I mean, I probably loved it when I was a kid, but... uh as an adult watching it, it's like, well, what the, this is just not, this is like what I would expect from like a made for TV movie and maybe not even that. See, I, I feel like, uh, at least with, uh, with those scenes with like the horns and shit and like, I mean, it was definitely like a limited orchestra if they, if they were using a live orchestra, those things do call back for me to the old like Errol Flynn type yeah. movies. Like I, I, I feel like it, it is a love letter to that and it, it doesn't bother me like yeah is it a giant sweeping john williams score no but i i think it suits the movie very well because because the movie it's it's a fairy tale but it's also very grounded there's no dragons there's no like 
super magic or anything. You know, it's just it's swashbuckling. There's a little bit of magic. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, it's it's not hard fantasy. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and the music in like the more emotional parts, uh, you know, is much better. But I don't. it just really didn't. I, it bothered me. Just kind of cheese ball. It, yeah. It was just a little too much. Yeah, and I mean, I like the I like the main theme with with the guitar and stuff, but like when it's the end credits and it's Mark Knopfler singing words, like I I cannot stand that at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, I fucking hate it. He I... says storybook story too many times. Every movie had to have something that they could potentially put on the radio. That's what it's it was true. there for. <laughs> well, well, especially and... if you're getting Mark Knopfler to do the soundtrack, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and especially in in eighty seven, you know, like that's that's some prime Mark Knopfler right there. But <laughs> and who the fuck writes the line? But it's as real as the feelings I feel. It rhymes. Well, I guess that's fine, but I just <laughs> uh, for some reason the, the way he, the way he says it, I just I don't know. I don't I don't like that song. I like the rest of the soundtrack. I, I mean, I guess feelings are real, but like if you're trying to relate, like because he's referring to love being real, right? My love is like a storybook story, but it's as real as the feelings yeah. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So he's relating it to love. You should, if you're going to be like, my love is as real as you should probably make it like a physical object or something that's verifiably real. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> as real as that rock. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, that rock's right there. It's pretty fucking real. Yeah. <laughs> Your feelings. I don't know. Like we're, you're literally relating. You're saying my feelings are as real as my feelings. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. What kind of validity am I supposed to You guys to trying that? to ruin that song for me? I think you're trying to. Uh, have we succeeded yet? Maybe a little bit. Well, let's talk more <laughs> about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I liked the music. I liked the sound design. Sound design was good. You know, the the sword fights, again, going back to the uh, to the um, RUSs, like that, that shit was awesome. Even the, even the sound of like the uh, the lightning sand, the yeah, when they go through. Well, and his scream when he's in the machine. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Like that, was, that was a solid, infinite suffering sound. Yeah, I've just sucked one year of your life away. How does that make you feel? Yeah, and then this is for, for posterity. So tell me, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's so sad. Cause, just a little whimper. Yeah, like, like Wesley's just sitting there crying. And you're like, oh, man. Like, you, you don't see that from, from the hero. No, and yeah, and he'd been a pretty tough guy up until that point. Yeah, mm -hmm. like you, you, you half expected him to make a quip. One little thing that I that that reminded me of because it was when they were coming out of the uh, the fire swamp when they're met by Prince Humperdinck's people and Count Rugen and you know Wesley says to the to Count Rugen they're like oh six fingers on your left hand huh somebody or on your right hand I know somebody who's been looking for you and then uh, Rugen goes ahead and conks him on the head with the butt of his sword and it, that noise it makes. Yeah, like they they use that both times, but when when they do that there, and when uh, when Wesley smacks Inigo Montoya after theirs, man, that is a satisfying little knock there. <laughs> but also, apparently, they didn't have a prop sword available to them or something. I I don't know. I can't remember what the what the exact circumstances were. But Carrie Ellis just said to to Christopher Guest, like, "Go ahead and hit me for real, like with with this sword." He hits him for real, knocks him out for real. <laughs> What really? Yeah. So, so you what you see there is actually Carrie Elwes getting knocked out. 
No way. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's where they got the sound and they're like, oh yeah, let's do that. <laughs> again. Yeah. That really sounded like someone getting whacked in the head with a sword. Yeah. Fucking gross. Holy shit. I didn't even know you could knock someone out that way. I thought that was just like a movie trope. Just bopping them on top of the head like that. Yeah. At the final sword fight, apparently the count was making the sound effects for a sword <laughs> and they stopped him. They're like, we're going to add those later. You can stop doing that. <laughs> ching, 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 ching. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and you, you hear stories about like Star Wars actors doing that too. Boy, especially with a lightsaber, it's got to be kind of disappointing that it doesn't make the noise. Yeah, I mean, you, you're you're holding like a hilt with like a broomstick. You're like, oh, fuck. Like, I, I have to believe this is a lightsaber somehow. Somebody make a noise. Stand over there with those plastic things you spin around and go. Wee, 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 wee. I've been wanting to do this since I was five. Give me the noise. Yeah, do something. <laughs> you guys can fix it in post. I know you can. Yeah, I mean, that's about all I've got for the movie. Shockingly, like, this is... It's, you know, people like this movie, it seems. Yeah, they think it's good. Yeah. It did not do well in theaters. Oh, no. Huh? It did It did poorly. Like, it lost money. Whoa. It wasn't. I didn't know that. They did okay, but it definitely wasn't up to where it was once the VHS hit. That's when everything really worked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, I saw a quote from Rob Reiner, it was like, years later when he was talking to someone because he, he was excited because it did. It had just become profitable. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, they were finally starting to make money on it. Mandy Patinkin went to go to a theater just to try and hear the reactions from an audience. And when he went, there was no one there. Oh. oh. Well, he heard their reaction. <laughs> yeah, man, that <laughs> is rough. <laughs> and uh, yet again, Rob Reiner had a hard time getting it made, too. Like he shopped, he shopped it around and, uh, cause I guess his dad, Carl Reiner gave him this book when he was a kid to read. So like, that's, you know, ever since he'd read the book when he was a kid, he was like, he, you know, and he started becoming a filmmaker. He wanted to make this movie. How poetic. It had yeah. been attempted to be made multiple times before and it never worked. And then yeah. they asked him like, if you want to make a movie, what movie do you want to make? And he's like, no, you don't want to hear what I really want to make. They're like, no, tell us what movie do you want to make? So the Princess Bride, they're like, anything but that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They shot him right down. I guess Robert Redford had tried to get one made oh, back damn. in the day. And it didn't work out for whatever reason. And so eventually he ended up uh, getting the money from uh, good old Norman Lear. Same guy that funded Spinal Tap and uh, was the, you know, the producer on All in the Family. Oh, good man. With, uh, with Meathead back in the day. So Norman Lear is uh, is credited for bringing a lot of joy into my life. Oh yeah, Norman Lear's the shit. That guy did all kinds of stuff, man. Damn. Yeah, he he's uh, he's definitely someone you should be appreciative to. Yeah. Him and Rob Reiner. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> From what I heard, production sounded like everyone had just a joyous time making this movie too. I think like everyone was, you know, the, Rob Reiner rented a house. Up in North England, they all stayed in it and they'd like hang out and cook food and like play guitar and sing songs after the shoots and stuff. And they all just kind of hung out and were like a, a family. And uh, it seemed like everyone involved, it was just a pleasant experience for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Mandy Patinkin, when they were watching the rough cut, got very emotional at the very end and his wife wanted to know, she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, I've always dreamed about being in a movie like this and it actually happened. And he saw it and it never happened again. It was just how lucky they were to be a part of it. 
Yeah, like he never he never dreamed he he would have been a part of something so special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not as juicy as when you hear like the you know James Cameron alien story where like he almost has to fire the whole crew and if like and everyone's miserable. <laughs> But uh, it it is cool to hear, like, it's just they went out there. They all had a fucking blast making the movie. They they loved each other. No one had any big drama or anything. And uh, they all were passionate about making a good movie. And it shows. Because it, it, I think it shines through in the movie that everyone had a good time and was there and wanted to be there. Yeah, like, you, you, you haven't, or at least I haven't heard a single story from anyone involved in that movie about, like, oh, this person was a piece of shit. Yeah. What a great experience Mm -hmm. i'm jealous of them well when casey met robin um who's casey he was instantly smitten by her (laughs) and then apparently she had a crush on him but he had a girlfriend so they who are these people casey ellis and robin Wright. oh carrie ellis that's what i meant my bad go back sorry i was i was very confused (laughs) i was (laughs) i know it was like he's not he's looking at me confused (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck do you mean Casey Elwer. He was the cameraman. <laughs> um, well, of course, like so many other properties, there's a movie and there's a book that it was based on. And um, one thing that I that I think was really cool. So, of course, I, I grew up with this movie. And then years later, I went to read the book. Um, and generally, you're going to be disappointed uh, in the or you you won't think as highly of the movie after you read the book because the book is always better. In this case, it benefited by the fact that William Goldman was both the writer of the book and the screenwriter. So when I was reading the book, I, well, I remember the first time I, I attempted to go through it. I got to a certain point and I I sort of dropped it because it expounds on a whole lot of other uh, aspects of the movie. Like, um, but the second time through, I I loved it to death. But it it goes into everybody's backstory um it the the beginning with buttercup is uh, quite a bit longer it's definitely takes longer than 90 seconds to tell you know like she's she's still being a bitch to uh to wesley but you know it, it describes about how like when the day that buttercup was born like the most beautiful woman was a was a woman in france and she wasn't the most beautiful woman anymore like they put they put a whole lot of emphasis on beauty and then like as she got older, she was a tomboy, so she slipped down the list of most beautiful people. And then, <laughs> yeah. oh. and then after after she found out Wesley had died, like she, you know, she sequestered herself and she came out more mature and had, you know, lost her her baby fat. Essentially, they kind of it kind of implies that she was then the most beautiful woman in the world, and that's why Humperdinck came after. It t- it talks more about Humperdinck, who in the book is like an overweight man, but he is like a master hunter. And like, instead of the pit of despair, he has the zoo of death, which has like five different levels of different deadly animals that he can go and hunt. And, um, it talks all about, uh, Inigo Montoya's, uh, you know, the, the situation with his father and then like his training to become what's referred to as a, as a wizard in fencing, which is like the highest rank, you know, he is a master swordsman, Fezzik growing up as like a Turkish wrestler and um, you know it, it's but everything in the book or sorry everything from the movie is in the book there's just more of it in the book you know like because thanks to William Goldman like all of those lines that you love are there so it, it's like a familiar piece of literature already except you're just getting such a a, a, a much more rich tapestry nicely said 
read the book. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, Angelina's Angelina's been uh, been working through it. Um, and then they also in later later editions they had released a uh, like the first chapter of uh, of a sequel book. You know, and and like they they did it under under the guise of like, oh well, you know, we're we're trying to get this book translated and written, but the the Morgan Stern, um, what's it called? Estate. Yes, uh, is very protective about it, and they you know they don't want to release it. It was called Buttercup's Baby, and um, fuck, I can't. I I was even doing a little a little refresher on it earlier, and I can't remember anymore. But all I remember is that it ends with this with this asshole throwing what's the kid's name like waverly or something off a cliff and fezzik dives after the baby and like grabs the baby and is like tucks the baby into him to hopefully protect her from from the impact at the bottom of the cliff and that's where it ends what yep yeah that's rude yeah throw a <laughs> and then they baby never... off a cliff yep and then they never wrote the sequel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as well, I mean, as I think the last word there was was in 2007. Like William Goldman was saying that he was trying to crack the the sequel story, and unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. So there will never be a sequel, at least not from him. Well, um, when you when you end your first chapter that way, you know, you're like, haha, that's a good cliffhanger. They'll want more. And then like you go down to write the second chapter, and you're like, oh shit, kind of left that at a hard place to pick back up. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I I had forgotten, but um, apparently the well, not apparently because I read it, but I had forgotten. But the book ends with, you know, uh, William Goldman, the author, you know, saying that like, okay, so they all rode off into the sunset on their horses, but then Wesley, you know, relapsed and Inigo's wounds opened back up, and like like it basically ended fucking terrible for all of them but he's like but i choose to to believe that they all lived happily ever after <laughs> what? yeah oh sorry spoilers angelina no, that's fine um <laughs> <laughs> i knew you weren't going to do it anyway there what, there was apparently a deleted scene at the very end of the movie where the oh gosh the boy <laughs> fred, savage. fred savage yeah is going through the book after his grandpa leaves and then all of a sudden he looks out the window and all of them are outside of the window on their horses, like waving at them, <laughs> waving at Ew. them. I'm glad they deleted that. that. I am very glad that did not happen. Seriously. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't have been shocked from the time, you know, like, like late 80s, early 90s. That's exactly the kind of fucking thing that they would do. Mm -hmm. Glad they didn't. Wow. Um, how about break? Little breaky break. Yep, yep, yep. I think my brain could use it. I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. My name is Trev Allen, and I am the host of the Struggling Artist Podcast. The best way to describe the Struggling Artist Podcast uh, is just a conversation. My guests are from all walk of life, uh, creators and non-creators. It doesn't matter. Business owners, you know, or just regular workers. And we just sit down and we just chop it up, talk about life, uh, struggles, and things that interest us the podcast is available on all podcast platforms so whatever one you're comfortable using we should be there and if we're not let us know uh you can reach out to us on twitter at podcast tsa uh or email if you want to be a guest on the show the struggling artist podcast at gmail.com i mean the podcast is just a lot of fun and i couldn't do it without these amazing guests that i have on uh, that are so passionate about whatever it is that they're talking about. And so I want to thank them for that. I want to thank the listeners because if I didn't have you guys, then, you know, 
podcast would be nothing. So again, check us out, the Struggling Artist Podcast. We drop on Fridays. We'll talk to you later. Welcome back, Angelina. Thank you so much. What about me? <laughs> You're not you welcome. You're also welcome back. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's get into structure. This should be interesting with a third person. Bum, bum, bum. Super structure. Uh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> um, so first impressions. Uh, Angelina, since you are the guest, let's lead with you. What's your first impression of this movie? Early movies, early thoughts? Uh, I mean, early viewings of the movie? Early thoughts? So it's kind of hard because I don't remember a time when I didn't love this movie because I saw it when I was so young. I remember all of the words. I can remember my dad and I sitting on the couch watching it and just talking through the whole movie and quoting everything. Uh, and my mom would go, I'm not watching this movie with you guys anymore. Like, I, <laughs> I was leave. just thinking the same thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to sit there and listen to you and your dad quote it the whole time either. <laughs> um, I just can't remember a time where I didn't love this movie. So I guess that's my first impression. <laughs> Yeah, you you and you and your daddy mm -hmm. enjoying it. Yeah. What about you, Mr. Robinson? So uh, I also don't remember like the first time I saw this movie. Um I remember being a you know, I was young. Uh, it was certainly before the 4th grade where um in the 4th grade we did a uh, production of The Princess Bride and uh I was uh Vicini. Yeah. And uh I remember doing like, so I, I'd seen it before that, obviously. And we just rewatched it. Like I called my mom up and was like, do you guys still have that video? And they're like, yeah, somewhere. And, uh, it was in a box, found it. And, uh, I watched it at least up through my death today because, <laughs> uh, it was a fourth grade production. <laughs> so it, you know, it wasn't super great. Oh, it was rough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining your teacher was just in love with the princess bride was like what can we do that would be really fun <laughs> yep oh yeah they 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 definitely abridged it a bit uh the total length was only 40 minutes long oh okay because yeah i mean that that start i uh, i watched it with ben earlier today that that start was it was like it was tracking the movie and i was like oh no like i can't sit and watch this for an hour and a half <laughs> No, and neither could any of the the adults. Like every once in a while, the camera would pan to the audience, and uh, they looked about as enthused as you would expect uh, anyone at a fourth grade production of anything to be. Uh, <laughs> on the bright side, it was the uh, the early '90s there, so uh, no one was looking at their phone. Yeah, nice. they just had to stare at the wall. <laughs> that shit was rough, man. They had a chorus there singing songs, and they like. When they introduced, was it when Buttercup and Wesley realized they were in love with each other and they started, they broke into like that go into the chapel and we're going to get married song? What? Well, yeah, that was, no, that was after the, uh, the wedding announcement. Oh, by yeah. By Humperdinck. But yeah, and it went on for way longer than it needed to. Oh, boy. But uh, thankfully, I was Vicini, so I only had a, a, you know, a few scenes and none of them involved singing or dancing. Yeah. So... I, th I think that was my, my, the highlight of being in that role was that I didn't have to do no singing and no dancing. <laughs> oh boy. And Willie Nelson's on the road again while they're traveling. Yep. Wait, yeah. I have to see this. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, uh, the, the VCR I got from my dad transfers it to digital. So perfect. So I'll expect a DVD. Thank you. I could, yeah, I could probably post it on YouTube. Oh. Yeah. We'll figure something out. Yeah, it was it was rough, but it was interesting seeing all sorts of people that we went to like high school with 
Yeah. Back in the fourth grade. We're like, oh, shit, it's that guy. It's that guy. Yep. And uh, I think I killed it. I think I did a, <laughs> a, a solid job. You know, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Aristotle? Morons. morons. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember having to, like, talk them into, because when, when I died, I wanted to, like, roll off the edge of the stage. <laughs> Like the front of the stage there, it was only like a eighteen inch drop. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah, it was nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. But like they were like, no, you know, we don't think you should do that. I was like, I think I should do that, and uh, <laughs> I ended up doing it. Yeah, true Ben fashion. <laughs> he said, "Fuck you to authority," and did it anyway. Like, what are they gonna do? And then you but just I mean, crawled away afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it, well, like on the video, we're watching. Like the camera pans down to me on the ground, and I, and I, I was about to crawl away, and then I like stopped and like laid there and played dead for a minute. I was like, <laughs> so I don't remember. Yeah, so I don't remember how I uh, managed to crawl off stage, but uh, I imagine I did. <laughs> yeah, focus went elsewhere. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, as far as plays that you have to do in the fourth grade, Princess Bride was a pretty solid choice. Like that's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and I've heard about this thing for years, you know, just through you and your parents. You know, apparently they've got, like, everything we ever did as kids on VHS somewhere. Like, we need to get a hold of that shit and digitize it all. Oh, yeah, I've got a box out there of, like, all the weird videos that we made when we were in high school. So, uh, who Lots knows of what... burning action figures and... Yeah, who knows what the fuck's on there, but, uh... <laughs> I've got the means to check now because I've got a VCR. <laughs> the movie seller'd be proud. Oh yeah, yeah. We need to watch Superman the movie. Yeah, we can now. Yeah, see it non-color corrected. Pop in those original Star Wars VHS too. Oh shit, that's right. Yeah. Oh hello. Sweet. So now that we've talked about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Now that we managed to get both <laughs> Superman and Star Wars <laughs> into an episode. <laughs> Right, uh, what's, what was your first impression? Uh, my my first impression, much like the both of yours, uh, I have no fucking clue. I mean, and as we mentioned with uh, with Utah and Mormons all having a copy of that, we were no exception. So I always had that uh, that VHS at home, loved it forever. So what I chose to go with was the first time I saw it in the movie theaters. Lucky. Oh, I've um, never seen it in the theater. Yeah, through uh, like Century Theaters, they would do little uh, like classic movies on Sunday and Wednesday and they would play that movie that week then move on to another one the next week uh, these days like fathom events does a lot of those but I I've gotten the chance to see some of my favorite movies in the theater because of that I saw back to the future I saw Goonies Ghostbusters but Princess Bride I still remember exactly where I was in the theater I could even tell you it was in it was in a uh, screen number number 12 at the Folsom Century eh. I worked there, so I guess that's the only reason why. But it's amazing when you're watching a movie you love for the first time on the big screen. Like, you're so enthralled by it, by the experience, that you notice things you never noticed before. And that's what I got from from that there. You know, like, I've, I've seen the, the movie so many times that you don't pay attention. You know, it's like when you see a movie for the first time in theaters or when you see it with somebody else for their first time, you pay more attention, and it's amazing all the little details you see. Even even something like like set dressing and background, or like sounds that you notice. And um, it was super special for me. That was probably about ten years ago, I imagine. Nice. Well, and I imagine on a on the worn out VHS you had been watching it on as a child. Uh, all of those things were a little bit harder to pick out too no shit didn't even think about that kind of grainy and blurry just naturally yeah and, well and the more you play them the worse they get yeah 
I would very much like to see that in the theaters. Yeah, if it ever comes around again, I mean, of course I'll go fucking see it. Mm-hmm. I'd like for Pee Wee's Big Adventure to come to the theaters. Shit. Who knows what I'd notice in that. Um, so next up, we have our favorite use in pop culture. Yeah, this one's hard. Not it. Uh, I'll <laughs> you know, it's, start. I, I, th- I, th- I think we can all agree that this is very tough because whereas some things, like if we're talking about Batman, you know, it permeates the pop culture. There's a lot to choose from. But with this one, I mean, there's the movie and there's how much everyone loves the movie. And then what are you going to pick? Like the episode of Parks and Rec where they dress up like them for Halloween? You could. I'm not going to. Hopefully that wasn't Angelina's. (laughs) No, it's not. Way to call her out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that one would really fucking suck, Angelina. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no, they definitely make lots of references throughout television and movies to it. But mine, I guess, would be Pops. Get it? Pop culture. Pops. Uh, They just came out with the three (laughs) Princess Bride Pops, and we were very eager to order them. And make sure we got them as soon as they came out. And they're adorable. You said they came out with three of them? Yep. It's uh, Buttercup, Indigo, and Wesley. And they're adorable. Yeah, they are. I mean, that that's one of those things where as soon as I saw that it was coming out, I was like, I have to fucking pre-order this. You know, I'm not I'm not Mr. Super Pop Collector, but if there's a pop of something I love, of course. And it's when, when it's something that we both love. And, and that was the first one that we that we put up on display in our living room yeah. at one point in time. Yeah, I even got the, uh, the, there's, the, the Wesley is unmasked, but there was a masked variant that I had to make sure I got. And he's hiding in a box somewhere because he's not on display. The family that nerds together stays together. Oh. <laughs> what about you, Ben? You got one? Yeah, I was thinking about this. And, and again, it was kind of tough to come up with one. And this was one that I just discovered in the last couple days. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I, it's fairly new, so I guess it could be forgiven. But uh, I went through and watched like the first eight or so of them and uh they're interesting they're cute i like them are they on qb which uh is a thing is it qb or is it quibby quibby i have no idea it might be quibby the 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 little the little app that failed yeah it's still there (laughs) yeah they got a weird shtick like original content in 10 minutes or less like well okay i guess i think you're on the wrong side of the binge society there well, and you know what's weird is is how we don't how how we talk about how we don't have enough time for like full length movies this and is shit. True. <laughs> We're like, no, fuck your ten minutes. But in any case, they did a uh, I guess during quarantine they got like just a fucking boatload of celebrities together. Well, not together. They didn't get them together at all. But <laughs> had them all um, uh, like I don't know if someone coordinated and doled out stuff, but they did this thing called uh, home video, the Princess Bride, and basically it's actors at home filming themselves in makeshift costumes like on their iPhones with like their kids or dogs helping them uh going through the princess bride and the actor playing each individual role changes like every 2 minutes that's neat i mean they lean into it what it is it's you know they're filming it in their backyard with their iphone so it's not like it's uh no you're not expecting production value at all but uh, it's fun and it's got just loads of people in it any of the original cast uh, it opens with Fred Savage. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fred Savage uh, playing him, playing himself um, or playing uh, the know, grandson, the grandson. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's like, like for a while, Jack Black was Wesley and uh, <laughs> like, like John, John Hamm. He was Wesley to um, Patton Oswald being Vizzini in the, <laughs> in the 
wine glass scene and like when he's for, you know when he's untying buttercup he's taking a handkerchief off his dog <laughs> it's, like, it's just shit like that it's it, it's just it's completely full of people and you're like oh shit it's that guy oh, that's pretty that good guy? you know it's not super awesome but it's worth the free 14 day trial to quibi whatever it is because i'm not gonna pay for it cubert <laughs> but it, i think it really spoke to how much love people have for this movie that you know they could get i mean there's got to be a hundred different actors Damn. The, the, I mean, like they said, the, every role switches like every two minutes to someone else. And it's just got loads of people in it. And, so, and they're all, and I think they're all just, I'm assuming they're doing it for free, but I don't know. But it, it's just, a you know, they all love this movie. They all want to be part of it. So if they're like 10 minutes a piece, is it like a multi-part thing for the whole movie? Or yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I guess it's, I, can't, I think it came out on June 29th. Oh, shit. So it's fairly like, recent. Yeah. And, I, and they're releasing, they were releasing like an episode a week or something. I'm not even sure if it's done. Like, I've only gotten, like, eight in. It says eight of ten, but I don't know if that gets you through the whole movie or not. June 29th was, like, a week ago. That's true. Yeah. So maybe they... Maybe they're all out. I have no (laughs) idea. Because when I read the first thing, it was saying they were releasing one a week, and I was like, oh, wow, that sucks. I'm only going to be able to watch one or two. And then there was ten on there when I went on there earlier today to start watching it. And it was... uh, It's very charming. Yeah. Did you come up with one yet, John? Yeah. Hey, oh, you're not allowed to call me out. Ben, cut that out. Um, Yeah, I mean, officially on my notes that I took on my phone, I was really just going to have to fucking bite the bullet and just be like, well, it's the movie. Sorry. I know. But I thought of something while we were recording this. So this is going to be a little bit of a cheat because it is a it is something that exists that I have not seen anywhere near its entirety. I've only seen a trailer for it, but the idea of it and from what I've heard and from what I saw in the trailer was good enough to where it it takes the top spot outside of the movie. That is the Deadpool 2 edit, like the Christmas PG-13 edit where Deadpool kidnaps Fred Savage and they they recreate the whole set and they they tell Deadpool 2 as if it's Deadpool reading the story to Fred Savage. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and that trailer was so fucking good. And the uh, I've I've seen pictures of of the set and like stills from it where they just down to the most minute detail the the Santa Claus homemade thing on the on the door, like all the action <laughs> figures, the cheat, like everything is there. And I think that is fucking brilliant. I've heard the movie's great. I mean, Deadpool isn't isn't a property that I want to watch in PG thirteen necessarily, but I I wouldn't mind going and finding a supercut of the the Fred Savage scenes. Totally. So that's something similarly to to yours, Ben, where where it permeates the pop culture to a level where like it it get it gets meta. Like it it doesn't take itself seriously and it's just like, we know you love this, so we're gonna give you this. It's definitely a cult classic. Yeah. Like it has a following. Yeah, especially for not being successful at first. That's nuts. Definitely has a following. People do Princess Bride weddings with oh, the shit. Mawedge and everything. Costumes <laughs> and masks and all of it. Does someone burst in and break the wedding up halfway through? Don't think so. No? Um, <laughs> no they don't have a giant flaming, flaming Dread Pirate Roberts? Not planned yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> if if we if we were doing that, I I would definitely tell. I imagine it would be Ben doing the ceremony. I'd say, "Man and wife, say man and wife, <laughs> man and wife." 
But no, that's not happening. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. They even have theaters where they'll do um they'll do it just kind of like Rocky Horror, but it's Princess Bride and they have little things they do throughout like anybody want a peanut and everyone throws peanuts at the screen and I think that would irritate me. <laughs> and then they can quote along with the movie while they're watching it and it's okay and no one's going to get upset like John Williams. John will get upset. Yeah, you and your dad can go do that all you fucking want. <laughs> John will be there with his headphones on trying to ignore it. <laughs> I came here for a quiet movie. I want all of you to leave me alone. You say that like like I'm wrong for thinking that you most of the time. Do Fuck you. Like that expecting it to be quiet. Okay, I I I won't. I Good. promise. Good. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to make it past this. <laughs> Um, so I guess, uh, I mean, I don't have any lists. I don't have any what ifs. Um, let's, uh, let's wind down here. Let's do some, uh, final thoughts and one word reviews. Angelina, you said you were, uh, you were prepared for this. I am. <laughs> Take it so, away. Let, let's just keep with the order. My one word review is timeless. Shit. That means I'm next. Because, what was that, Angelina? Oh, I'm sorry. Did someone interrupt me? <laughs> Ew. I didn't hear it. I couldn't hear it through my ears. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were like, um, excuse me. No. no. I was like, wait. Okay. <laughs> my yeah. one word review is timeless. Because oh, fuck. What? Was Sorry. that yours? <laughs> that, that was one that I was thinking of. Okay. So apart from the video game that's obviously very old in the beginning, um, when you just look at the movie itself, it, it spans the test of time. I totally thought you were talking about a Princess Bride video game I know, that I didn't too. know about for a second. I no. was like, wait, what? The video game? No. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But it's it's something that now our kids get to watch and learn to love or love from a young age. And we get to share that with them. I know we had a theme night when we showed Ella Princess Bride. and um, Was I there? You were there. You don't oh, remember? Okay. <laughs> We had, what did we make? I made food that went along with it and everything. Or rodents of unusual oh, size yeah. pate. It was BLTs instead of mutton, lettuce, and tomato. Oh, yeah. And we had wine, didn't we? We had wine. Yeah. Yeah. Gave your six-year-old wine? Well, she had juice, but. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was fun. But it's, it's really exciting. I know John loves showing movies to her when it's something he loved as a child. So. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah, she barely made it through Ghostbusters. Well, Ghostbusters is kind of scary. Yeah, did we watch Goonies with her? No. Okay, I couldn't remember. Mm -hmm. And she did not get very far in Beetlejuice. We'll have to wait a while for that. Yeah, that one's way too scary. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I'll let Ben uh, take a little more time here. Because I'm I'm gonna have to piggyback off of yours. The the there's a word that's been going through my head. And I even went on thesaurus.com to find something different. But my reasoning for it is essentially everything you just said. The word that I've been thinking of was transcendent. Because, you know, the, the, you have the children at the time, like our age. You have the parents who loved it. You have their children now. Like, like it, it is standing the test of time. And it is uh, continuing to be endearing to, uh, to the next generations. But... What what's interesting to me though is is when you when you get somebody who hasn't seen it but they're an adult 
Like I've, I've heard a couple people have like differing opinions and, and I don't know if it's just like you, you have to, you had to catch it. Like if you were an adult, you had to see it back then when movies were what they were back then. Mm-hmm. But I like there, there's, there was somebody who's like a couple years older than us that saw it for their first time. They're like, I don't fucking get it. No, I had the same thing happen with one of my best friends. I was so excited to show it to her. I'm like, you've never seen the princess bride. And she was just like, it was okay. Like she was totally underwhelmed by it. And my heart kind of broke a little bit. And you don't talk to her anymore, right? I do. I still love her very much. Ugh. She yells things at her from across the parking lot occasionally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's not welcome to our home. <sighs> she is. She knows who she is. Who is she? Yeah, we need to know who she is. We got we to gotta blacklist this bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I doubt she listens to the podcast. Now she will. She knows she was Why? mentioned. So you're going to tell her that she was mentioned <laughs> when, we're, when we're talking shit about her. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> All right. But yeah, you know, I mean, other than other than terms like magical and fantastic. Sorry if those were both yours, Ben. But, you <laughs> know, because those are those are too obvious. You know, it, it was it was a very wondrous time and a very wondrous property. It transcends time, time and space. Time. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Go on. Uh, hey, Ben. What's <laughs> yeah. your one word review? <laughs> uh, it's a it's a word. Um, uh, so I went with uh, quotable because this oh, movie good. is ridiculously quotable. Like, I mean, almost like probably 50% of the lines in this movie. Well, maybe not that many. <laughs> like 25, though, are like you know, things now. Yeah. Like they are things that you can quote and everybody knows what you're talking about. And uh, that's a lot for a movie. Like there's not a lot of like filler dialogue in there. It's mostly, there's a lot of little quips and just witty little banter and stuff. Um, like one of the ones that, that, I, that I need to use more with my kids, with the grandpa when he's talking to when he's, you know, says, yeah, yeah, you're very smart. Shut up. We do that <laughs> all the time. Like whenever, oh whenever gosh. somebody is right about something and the other person is wrong, it's just like, yeah, you're very smart. Shut up. I love it. Oh yeah, we do that. Well, and they this movie, it's 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 like they speak with such an economy of words that everything means something. You know, like yeah. like when uh, Humperdinck is telling Count Rugen to to take Wesley to his ships or whatever. I think that's the part, but it might be a different part. But he's saying it to, to back to Humperdinck, and he's like, "I swear it will be done." And like, even just, even just like a, "Yeah, cool, I'll do it." Like, even that just speaks volumes. And like, I would want to say that to somebody if they if they were asking me to do something. I hope I remember to say that. Yeah, it's got like a, a sense of elegance to a lot of it. It's, yeah, it's uh, well, it, it's it lines like uh, you know, life is pl- pain, princess. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something. Yeah, it's like, a great fucking line. You know, and obviously the, my name is Nigo Montoya, I'll kill, you killed my father, prepare to die. and Yeah, like, now beat it or I'll call the Brute Squad. I'm on the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His facial expression is the best. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole speech of, of, you know, to the pain, you know, after they've talked yeah. about like cutting off the nose and, and the eyes and the hands at the wrist and feet at the ankles. And he's like, and then my ears, perhaps I killed you too quickly last time. And then his little speech, I'll just say it real quick. Yeah, wrong. Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child that's seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, dear God, what is that thing, will echo in your perfect ears. 
That's what to the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish, wallowing in freakish misery forever. Holy shit. Yeah. Like nobody has ever been served so fucking hard. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The dialogue in this movie is, uh, it's just great. I, I like good dialogue. It's like one of the main reasons I like Tarantino movies. Cause it's, it's all there is dialogue and violence. Yeah. And this one's, you know, dialogue and wholesomeness. Yeah. Because, <laughs> it, it, like, this is absolutely my favorite movie that I can watch, that you could be like, yeah, you could watch this with anyone. Your yeah, grandma, definitely. your kids. It's your favorite movie that you could watch with my family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, I, I like, you know, scary, violent, horrible things most of the time with lots oh. of F-bombs and nasty stuff. But uh, this is uh, this is just good, clean fun. Yeah. Oh, I remember the last thing we had. Giant malted milk balls. They were the little medicines from Miracle Max. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Oh. That was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, this movie spawns wholesome stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one's doing that with Alien. No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh the food. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you for uh, traversing the uh, the channel with the shrieking eels with us tonight. Um, thank you very much to our guest, Angelina, for uh, for coming in and hanging out with us and adding to our show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Our pleasure, or at least my pleasure. It was, was pleasurable it pleasure? for all. Yeah, I, I was thoroughly pleasured. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, man who's not wearing a shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I, oh, no. One hand's been below the desk for a while. Oh, geez. Um, if you want to let us know how we did today, you can drop us a line and email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. You can find us on the social media channels, Facebook, Geeksploration, the podcast page, Twitter, Pod, and Instagram, Geeksploration Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, uh, please go and uh, leave us a six-fingered review on uh, Podchaser or Apple Podcast. Uh, we still got merch uh shirts and whatnot available at shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com yeah you did it and uh as always our theme song is cruising for goblins by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com hey john as you wish <laughs> <laughs>